Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Career at UGA podcast. In this week's episode, we will be playing a recording of our most recent weekly meeting talk. Now, if you'd like to come to our weekly meeting that happens each Tuesday at 8 o'clock, we'd love to have you. But right now, spots are still limited. So if you want to come, be sure to sign up using the Eventbrite registration link that you can find every Thursday on our Career at UGA website. Now, on to the recording. All right. Um, so if you've been with us the last two weeks, if you've been with us the last two weeks, then you know we are doing um, this series of talks called In Light Of. In Light Of. And what we're talking about, guys, are the characteristics of God or the attributes of God, who God is, and in light of who God is, who we are, and how we're called to live, right? In light of who God is, who we are, and who, how we're called to live. Um, the last couple weeks, um, two weeks ago, Alan, our director, who's awesome, crew daddy, he uh, shared about how God is sovereign, how he is in control, how he's king. And because he's in control, because God is in control, there is no need for anxiety and there is no need for us to try and take control of our own lives. God is in control and therefore you don't need to be and therefore all your reasons, all those sources of our anxiety, which ultimately come from us trying to reel ourselves into control of our lives. We don't have to be in that space, right? We cast all anxiety on him, for he cares for us. Uh, the next week, this past week, Kyler, uh, one of our other staffers, shared about how God is creator, right? God is the creator. And how, since we are his creation, specifically in scripture, it talks about how we're his creation made in his own image, we are his masterpiece. You are a masterpiece of God. You yourself are a masterpiece of God. He's made you beautifully and wonderfully, and he wants to create even more beauty through and in your life together, right? So these are the, these are the attributes we've been going through so far. Tonight, the topic of tonight is who we are in light of God being the Logos, all right, so if you guys are note takers, write this down, Logos, L-O-G-O-S. That's how you spell it in English, at least. Who are we in light of God being the Logos? And if that sounds like Greek to you, it's because it is. If you don't understand what that term is, it's great. It's because it's Greek. It's ancient Kinoi Greek, actually. It's not even Greek. It's like an ancient dead version of it, right? If you don't know what that is, you're in really good company. We're going to be diving into that tonight. But before we do any of that, will you please join me in prayer? Jesus, um... Yeah, Lord, we thank you that you're the Logos. God, we just pray, I pray, Lord, that tonight you would speak to each and every one of these students personally, that they would have an experience with you. Lord, that you'd be real for us, that you'd be personal, and that we get to know you more. In your name, amen. All right, so guys, there's this term, right? We said, who are we in light of God being the Logos, right? And that term Logos, right, I said it's ancient Kinoi Greek, that's the old version of Greek that your Bible is actually originally written in. First, funny story, your Bibles are not actually written in English first. They, they're written in ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek, right? So this term logos, it's an ancient Greek term, and it comes from the Greek and Roman philosophers 
from like thousands and thousands of years ago, even before a lot of scripture was written, there was this term, the Logos. And, and these old philosophers like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, a couple of the others, they came up with this term Logos because as they were looking at the world, right, these Gentiles, these people who didn't know the Lord, didn't know Yahweh, had no Christian background, they looked at the Lord and they realized something. They realized even though this world was chaotic and messy and confusing, there was one thing that even in the midst of all the mess of life they could do, and that was they could calculate and they could, they could figure out the patterns within the chaos of life with mathematics, with science, with, with discovery and research, they could actually figure out how the world works, right? Think about it. Why does the world work off of mathematical equations? It works off of rules. Why are we able to tell what day of the week it's going to be? How can we measure time, right? How can we calculate all the things we calculate in a given day, every day, if there aren't rules ordering our world? And as they looked at the fact that the world somehow makes sense, even in the midst of all this chaos, and there's no reason for it just to work because it works, they started to realize that these Gentiles who had no background in God, no understanding of Yahweh, no understanding of who Jesus was or who God was, started to realize, hey, there must be a force. There's got to be some source of reason, of logic, of power behind this world directing it in a set direction and governing it. And they didn't have a term for this thing, this vague abstract force, this God creator thing. So they named it the Logos. They named it Logos, right? And Logos is a, it's a vague term in Greek, which vaguely translates to word, but it always translates to the word, not word, but the word. So Logos means the word, not word, right? So if you're reading in your Bible and it says a word or that word, or it's talking about like words that people speak, that isn't Logos, but if you're reading in your Bibles and you see a phrase and it says the word, it probably is talking about this, logos. The force, the power, the source of all creation, the reason that's governing it all. This is what they're talking about when they talk about logos. Now, what's interesting, what's weird, is that the Jews who were writing the Bible, like, funny story, guys, 90-something percent of your Bible, I think it's 98% is written, only one book in your Bible is not written by Jews. Funny story. So the Jews who were writing the Bible, especially the ones who knew Jesus, including one of his, his, literally his best friend, he was called the disciple that Jesus loved named John. He loved this phrase, the Logos, which is a weird thing. Jews don't normally like Greek things. Jews didn't normally like Gentile things. But he really loved this term Logos. But he took it in a very different way. This guy John, the disciple that Jesus loved, that was literally the nickname Jesus gave him. This was like Jesus' friend. You know when you guys have your like group of friends? I'm going I'm to go on a little caveat for like a half second. You know when you guys have your like group of friends and you've got your crew and then in your crew you've got your guys or your girls who you're closest to, like your ones, right? Jesus had three of his like closest. It was Peter, James, and John, right? And Peter was his leader. He called him his rock. He was like, yo, Peter, you're my go-to. Whenever I'm not in the room, you're in charge. James was like the one that Jesus was always like, he was like the cool one. He was the one who was just always there. It's like Jesus never wanted to go anywhere without James around because James is cool. But John, literally his nickname for John was, you're the one I love. He just walked in the room, John, you're the one I love. You're just, I love you. And, and what he meant by that was, hey, this is the one who got his heart the most. So this is the guy who got Jesus the most, probably in all of history, 
in that personal relational sense. While he was walking on the earth, this is the man who knew him probably best, at least in a heart sense, more than anyone. And this is what he had to say with this term logos. We're in uh, John chapter 1. For those of you who are opening up your Bible, it'll be on the screen, but we're in John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, and we're just reading from the first verse. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to read verse 14 for us. Now check this out. In the beginning was the Word. Now you'll notice that it's capitalized. That's because it's logos, right? So it's not just talking about Word. It's talking about logos, this force, this power. So I'm going to read it as logos for the rest of the time as I'm going through. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him there was nothing that was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, so far, John is just talking. He's saying, hey, there's a logos. He's writing to all these different people. He's saying, hey, there's a logos. There's a reason. There's a force behind existence, right? Nothing strange there. Nothing strange there. In fact, it's actually the two attributes we've been talking about, right? There's this logos. There's this force. There's this creator God. God is creator. There's this sovereign God. He's in control. He's in charge. He's, he's creating and moving everything. Nothing crazy. But then read in verse 14 what he says next. And the logos became flesh. That's a way of saying became human. And the logos became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. The glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John does something here that's crazy, that's mind-blowing, and that would have been so weird for everyone who is used to hearing these terms. This term, the logos, the force, the, the power, the reason. All of a sudden he says, hey, that force, that power, that reason, he's a person. He's not an it, he's a he. He's a person. He became flesh, he became human, and I've lived with him. I've seen him, I've walked with him, I've talked with him. The force, the creator, the thing that drives all existence, the reason we exist, he's a person, he has a name, and his name is Jesus. I walked with him, I talked with him, he's my best friend. He called me the friend he loved. I know the logos. See, John does something that no one in history had done before him. He takes this term logos, Christians did something with this term, this idea, this vague idea of a God who sort of created everything and is kind of in charge in some distant, abstract sense. And he said, no, God's not a distant, abstract force. He's not out there somewhere. He didn't just start the world and then leave it. He's a person with a personality. He has a name. His name is Jesus, and I know him, and we know him. Check out what he says in 1 John. He's writing a letter, the same John. He's writing a letter, and because it was his first letter, we call it 1 John. So it's a couple of books back in your Bible. Check out what he says, how he introduces this letter. He's writing this letter. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon, we touched with our hands concerning the logos, right? It's the word. The logos of life, the source, that force. He said, I touched him, I saw him, I heard him, I know him. The life was made manifest. Manifest means we've touched him again. It's like tangible. He's a person. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father 
that was made manifest to us, again, like made real, made tangible. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship, fellowship is friendship, it's relationship, it's a personal, deep, real, daily relationship with someone. It's friendship. And that indeed our friendship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things to make your joy complete. See, John does something, and Christians, we do something. We did something with this vague, abstract concept of God. We made a claim that no one in history had ever made before. That that power, that that force, that that logos is a person with a personality who has a name and that person wants to know you. Better yet, that person knows you and wants you to know him. The attribute we're talking about tonight, guys, and, and the reason why it's so important to understand this, see, logos, you can actually talk about three attributes. It's the, three we've, it's the two we've talked up to this point and a third one. But what makes Christianity so different than most of the religions of history, and in some way all of the religions in all of human history, is that we claim that the Logos, that the Force, the Creator, the Being who is out there and made everything beyond time and space and matter is a person with a personality and He wants you to know Him in friendship, in fellowship. Do you catch why that's so important and why that's so different? Maybe you don't yet. Some of you probably are tracking with me. Some of you realize they're like, okay, cool, God's a person, so what? A couple weeks ago, I was out taking one of my students. We do a lot of evangelism here in crew. We go out, we share our faith. I was taking a student out, and we sat down with this guy, and he, this student was amazing, and he was just super excited to share his faith. So he walks up to this guy, never met, and just sits down and says, I'm going to share, I'm going to share about Jesus with you. And this guy, uh, who introduced himself as Nato, that wasn't his actually, actual name, that was his nickname. He's like, Nato, like Tornado. Um, he was a grad student. <laughs> He's a grad student. And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll talk. And so we start talking, and really quickly on, he looks, um, he looks me in the eye, and he says, hey, so here's the deal. Uh, a couple years when I, was, when I was an undergrad, I actually had a spiritual crisis, and here's what I realized. And I was like, yeah, come on, this great conversation, let's do it. Let's, let's talk about what you're feeling, what you figured out. And he was like, well, I thought about it, and I realized God has to be big, bigger than time. And I was like, yes, yes, tracking. This is great. Then he says, bigger than space. And I was like, yes, yes. He's like, beyond matter. And I was like, yes, this guy's vibe. And I was like, yeah, this is good. I was like, this is great. Y'all, I, I, I was like, amen, I, under my breath. Y'all, my, my God family is all African and African-American. I was, and my heritage is back there. We, we have our tribe in Liberia. Under my breath, I was like, amen, amen. You know, I was so excited. And um, I, was, I, was, I was flipping out. And so I thought this was going to go so well. And then he looks at me and says, well, and I figured this out. And I was like, yes, what did you figure out, Nato? And he goes, well, if he's big and beyond time and space and matter, then he couldn't be human. And I was like, well, I think he became it. But okay. I was like, I, I get what you're going. He was like, and because he's not human, there's no way he could actually care about me. And I thought that was so interesting. I thought that was so interesting. And I looked at him in the eyes by the end of the meeting. I said, you know, it's a really interesting thought. You seem to think that God is smarter than you. He's like, yeah. Wiser than you, of course. Bigger than you, yes. More powerful than you, yes. So why is he less emotional than you? Why does he care less than you? 
your image of God is less than you emotionally, less than you personally, less than you in his amount of care for your heart and life. See, Nato's image of God, the real big issue there was that his God was emotionally smaller than him. His God was big, but it was black and white, not technicolor. There was no person, no personality to it. And what I want you guys to hear is this, an attribute, guys, when we talk about attributes, we've been talking about the attributes of God, and I I realize this, we, we probably haven't defined it yet. See, an attribute is an irreducible quality or irreducible characteristic of someone or something. It means it can't be that thing or can't be that someone if it doesn't have it. So for example, a a spoon. One of the essential characteristics of a spoon being a spoon is that it has something to scoop, right? It is used for the intention of scooping, right? There's there's gotta be like a spoon head that's cylindrical and, and, and in some, they come in a lot of shapes and sizes, but something, if it's a spoon, it has to scoop, right? If I give you a spoon that has been like chopped off at the head and has nothing to scoop with and I hand it to you, no matter what the material is, metal, wood, plastic, you are going to say, why are you handing me a stick? It is no longer a spoon. It's lost an essential quality, an irreducible quality of the spoon ship. Right, this is spoon ship. That's, I never thought I'd say that word. Um, it's lost an irreducible quality. And this is what we mean when we talk about the attributes of God. These are things you can't take away from God and still be talking about God. You can't take this from God and still be talking about the same God. You can't take away the personhood, the personality of God and still be talking about the God of Scripture and still be talking about the God of the Bible. You cannot take away the personhood of Jesus and still be worshiping him. And it's so important, guys, because just like Nato, so many people I know, Christian or otherwise, who would claim to be Christian or otherwise, when they talk about God, when they talk about their experience of God, when they talk about their worship of God, when you ask them what they're talking about or who they're talking about, what they describe is a feeling Not a person who's giving them a feeling, but a feeling that they get in certain circumstances. They talk about uh, something good that they read in scripture or during a religious service. They talk about uh, doing good things or principles or ideas. And they almost never talk about a person who they know personally. Ever. So many people who claim to be Christians never actually talk about Jesus which means they're probably not worshiping the person who is the Logos that is Jesus. And if your image of God, guys, I want to say this, if your image of God is just a religious thing you do, if someone asks you, how's your time with God doing? There's, uh, when you're on crew staff, when you're in ministry, you, you ask people, how's your relationship with God going? We talk about it as a relationship. We do that very intentionally. It's always a terrifying thing for me when I ask a student, how's your relationship with God going? And what they say is, well, um, I was reading in scripture and I I read this and it sounded really wise and really cool. I'm like, okay, cool, but what's God speaking to you in that scripture? There's nothing wrong with saying that you read something in scripture and it moved you. But what is God actually telling you in that? I'll ask him, how are you doing with God? Well, I, I had a good feeling in church today. That's awesome. Holy Spirit moving in you. That's awesome. But what was Jesus actually telling you in the midst of that? 
because he was speaking something because he is a person with a personality. They'll talk about, I'm feeling this or I'm doing that with my Christian community. And I'm like, that's awesome that you have all these Christian friends who know Jesus, but do you? We don't serve a vague, abstract creator God who is out in the middle of somewhere doing something and doesn't care. We serve a God with personhood and personality who cares more about you than you care about yourself. And just like all personality, this is important. There's two components to personality, guys. Just like all personalities. When we say God is a personality, that's an irreducible attribute. We're saying two things about him. The first is that he has will. He has plans, hopes, desires, and acts of his own free will outside of your control and outside of your influence. Some of us get bothered by that. He has will, and he has emotions that you cannot control, that you do affect, but you do not control. He feels things. It takes five minutes if you actually read through Scripture, especially the Old Testament. We always neglect it. So often, I shouldn't say we always, a lot of, so many American Christians neglect their Old Testament because they're scared of the God that they see there. Because he gets angry, and, and, and he weeps, and he lashes out, and he does things, and sometimes they, they're, they're weird or hard to understand. Well, when someone has emotions, they do things and feel things and act a certain way. And to be honest, this is just my experience, guys, so I, I don't want to say this is for, true for everyone. I just want to say this because I know it has been true in my life and in my experience of people. Most of the people I know who get most bothered by God, who get most angry at him, when you come down to it, they're angry because he has a will that they can't control and because he has emotions that they actually realize they have an effect on but also can't control. So how can God get angry? Well, you get angry. How can God do that? Well, you do things that people don't understand all the time. Most of the people, most of us, when we are offended by God, it's because we want him to not be a person. But he is. He has feelings. He has emotions. He has a will, and it's bigger than yours. He cares more than you do. He hurts more than you do. He loves more than you do. He experiences more, infinitely more than we do. And we want to forget that. But if we forget that, then we're not actually talking about him anymore. He's a person. He's a person. Check this out. We want to talk right in light of. So in light of this, in light of God's personhood, in light of his personality, well, what are we supposed to do in light of that? Well, one thing I want you guys to hear is this. You can't relate to a vague abstract force, right? You can't relate to a God who's out there somewhere, but you can relate to a person. You can have a relationship with a personality. Your personality, and you can have a relationship with a personality. And there's one person in the Old Testament who really embodies this. I want to open up your Bibles to Numbers chapter 12. Open up your Bibles to Numbers chapter 12. I want you guys to see this person who has a relationship with the person of God. This is in uh, Numbers chapter 12. We're in verse 6. Now, there's this prophet, guys, named Moses. You guys, if you've been around Jews or Christians for any amount of time, even uh, been around Muslims for any amount of time, you will have heard that name, Moses. And he's famous in the Old Testament for being the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. 
literally more than half the Bible, greatest prophet, God's greatest representative. But he's actually known, most people, when they think of why he's great, they think of crossing the Red Sea, freeing God's people, giving the Ten Commandments. The reason God actually gives why he's his favorite, why he was his, his closest, favorite might not be the best word, but, but closest, right? That disciple that Jesus loved, that same concept, the one who got him the most, the one who's closest. He actually talks about it here. Someone gets angry at Moses and starts to kind of come at him and say something that's not true, and this is God's response. God actually hears this, and God shows up in the room, and this is what he says. Verse 6, and he said, this is God speaking, hear my words. If there's just a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I'll speak to them in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth or face to face. That phrase in the Hebrew, face to face, it's like how two best friends talk to each other. It's like how we think, it's talking not through a phone, it's talking not through a riddle. He's saying, hey, I talk to him like my best friend. We talk like we're best friends because we have an actual relationship. Face to face, clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds, he sees the fullness, the form of the Lord. He knows me. Why then were you not afraid to speak out against my servant Moses? God actually gets angry because someone comes against his guy. He cares so much about this friendship that he steps in and he says, hey, who's like him? I talk to him face to face like a friend, like my best friend. Here's the crazy thing, guys. In Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking about what we're offered in Christ, right? The Logos made flesh. What John was talking about. I've seen the Logos. I've touched him. I've tasted him. He's my friend. And Paul actually says this. He says, we all, like Moses, can behold his fullness. We are all invited into that friendship. This is what it's all about in Christianity. This is literally what it means to be a Christian. That word Christian means little Christ or it means Christ follower. It means you walk with him. We are friends of God. We have an intimate, personal relationship with the person who is the Logos. He's not just a vague, abstract force for us. He's a person. And he wants you to know him. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he wants you to know him face-to-face like a best friend. This is what Jesus offers, guys, and I mean this when I say this. Don't miss this. It is the most important truth you will ever hear because it leads to the most important relationship you will ever have. God is the Logos, and the Logos is not just the force and the power and the reason and the movement behind all of existence, that force, that logos, is a person. His name is Jesus. He knows you better than you know yourself. He cares about you more than you care about yourself, anyone, or anything. And he wants you to know him. Not a vague and personal God, but a person with a personality. That's the God we serve, and that's who we are in light of him. Will you pray with me? Jesus, oh, we love you. God, I just pray for this group of students. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. God, we want to know you. Lord, we want to know you. 
God, uh, not just know about you, not just talk about you. We want to experience you personally. Jesus, I pray that you would encounter every single one of the students here. Encounter every single one of us, Lord. Encounter us, God. Let us just experience your love, your power, your goodness, and your person, Lord. Amen.